The following Dharma talk was given by Jody Hojin Kimmel at Zen Mountain Monastery. Hojin Sensei is head priest at the monastery and the abbess of the Zen Center of New York City. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. Good evening. Good evening. Master Dogen said, in ceremony, there are forms and there are sounds. There is understanding and there is believing. In liturgy, there is only intimacy. Intimate possibilities. So Dogen encourages and instructs us to listen and to and speak liturgy, not with one sense, but with our whole body-mind. He says, listening with our entire being, eliminating the space between the self and the liturgy. To listen with the eye and see with the ear. Let go of the eye and the whole body and mind are nothing but the eye. Let go of the ear, and the whole universe is nothing but the ear. This will take some time. It's a good refrain. (laughs) To remain open to the possibility of realizing our true nature moment to moment. We learn intimacy, we hear it a lot, means to be that very thing. In other words, we're committing to practice each gesture, sound, moment, to enter wholeheartedly the invisible, the perfection of wholeness of each thing even when that thing may be failure or discomfort. In the Gotha of Atonement, all evil karma ever committed by me since of old, on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance, ways we make up a self, this will take some time. Since of old, beginningless, we're still at it. Committing to each gesture, sound, moment, to enter wholeheartedly the invisible. Dogen says to listen to and speak liturgy, not with just one sense. So to the degree that we can meet things fresh and unfamiliar directly with all the senses open, I, eating, directly before knowing anything. We don't even think about how it happens. That's intimate.
So Daido Roshi opens the uh, chapter on liturgy, making visible the invisible. And he says it means that we are able to perceive through the organs of perception. And something is there, though invisible. Just as in the arts of painting, poetry, music, and dance, in Zen liturgy we manifest that which is known to us intuitively and subconsciously in the form of a visible, tangible reality. In this way, liturgy tends to make palpable the common experience of a group. So when we do this thing here together, it's all of us together having a shared experience of some kind with an an intention in it. There's lots of different kinds of liturgy pointed in different ways. And we're having a very individual, personal experience. The intent of liturgy in Zen tradition is based on practicing good, actualizing good for others. It's in good faith to open what may be closed. Sharing, acknowledging, bearing witness. We're not alone. We're different together. There's different events. We do liturgy for births, a new babe in the world. We share that together, this new being coming in, death. So we can share that together, and it's very personal. Natural disasters, tragic events, hungry ghosts, sutras, dharanis, ancestral connections, mutual identity. We share our despairs, our griefs, our joys, our sorrows, everything, our mystery, our offering, our atonements for the harmful, Actions. We share vows that direct our heart and body and mind. We generate bodhicitta. The awakened heart and mind. We take refuge. So liturgy is said to be a skillful means. Buddha himself was liturgy. 
Skillful means pointing the potent to the potential to realize no separation between the self and the 10,000 things. Realizing the ground of being, as Daido Roshi would say. And Daido asks us at the end, what is it that is invisible? What is making the invisible visible? What is the invisible? What is it that we recreate through the practice of our liturgy? And for me, liturgy has always been one of those areas of training I could um, feel the power of um, entering it right away without really having to wrap my head around it. I didn't, I didn't need to have my intellect too involved. I could feel it. It was palpable, palpable in the space. I remember feeling that a little bit in synagogue, too, um, especially when we were rocking, <laughs> davening. And that experience has lasted. And it keeps actually drawing me deeper and opening to trust liturgy. It opens incredible wonder. However, I do remember times when my trust got a little bit crunchy and a critique of what I was seeing and doing would blow up in my mind and I would feel distant. Like when we, I remember it was the first time we chanted the 82 names of the patriarchs and I didn't know that who they were so I asked someone and they said, those are the great masters, the list of patriarchs. And I remember just kind of going like, am I in the right place? Like 82 and no one else? Okay. (laughs) I remember the four vows when it came to desires are inexhaustible. I vowed to put an end to them. I didn't like that. I thought, well, some of them are good. Aren't some helpful? Why put an end to them? So to know, we should know, if you don't already, what comes with liturgy is a lot of our assumptions we bring with it. So we have to keep looking at it honestly, digging deeper. Excuse me. So it's important to acknowledge there are challenges for many of us. I mentioned my own because I don't think I'm alone. (laughs) We work alone and together and as a sangha on the details of these celebrations of this mystery of being alive now. And it's kind of a mind-blowing to think that this liturgy has been going on for centuries from Shakyamuni Buddha, maybe before him, to the present time and place. 
So how do we find the way so as not to, to diminish its power? Or diminish our gratitude for what the ancestors gave us? This takes time, repetition, study, care, feeling, questioning, listening, shifting, watching again as liturgy moves. I was struck by a line in Dido's uh, writing which said, what has survived in our liturgy is Buddha Dharma itself beyond all ideas and words that might describe it. He said it needs to take the shape of the vessel that contains it and comes directly out of this time, place, and conditions. The true Dharma body is open sky, and in response to things, forms appear. So we take care with our responses because they have effects. Liturgy is Buddha speaking to Buddha. This is why it needs our whole being to remain a vibrant form. That's how it stays alive. And I was thinking about throwing a pot. And um, I remember my teacher, Toshiko, telling me that the outside will take care of itself, but what you're actually creating is space, and you're using the other hand to draw the line around it, but where you put yourself is opening space is the opening space, stretching the clay. That takes time. (laughs) Form follows function, she would say. What's the intention of the form will shape the space. Liturgy will move and flow to future generations by how we embody it. The liturgy of Fusatsu is such a powerful focus in its intention. It's translated Fusatsu as to do Continuous good practice. Begins with offerings and bows, atonement for harmful actions, vows to save all beings, taking refuge, Dharma words, and the effects of our participation and intent go way beyond what we could imagine. It's immeasurable. It's, it's 
so large, the possibility is so large, the reverberations are so large, so vast. It will be perceived and subtly answered. So there's some trust involved here. Liturgy and all of our practice definitely involves some faith and trust. We have to find that, especially in the beginning, but all along. Because a lot of what we do has not yet been verified by our own direct experience. Right? Like Zazen itself. We receive the instruction, and then we have to put it together and verify the instructions in our form, in our breath, in our being. And then to all along remain open to the possibility of intimacy. And we may even grow to realize that liturgy is our entire life. From the time we wake up till the time we wake up. (laughs) All liturgy. We could see it that way. I mean, think about it. It's just, we, we start to see no gaps, that it's all sacred activity. Putting our feet on the floor, putting our shoes on, choosing our clothes, brushing our hair, some of us, washing our face, having a drink, walking, breakfast, work, creativity, possibility. So through all this, I can't really say what liturgy is. I don't know what it is. It does express mutual identity. And look what we have here to identify with. Buddha was not a god. We raise our eyes to identify with Buddha, our original teacher, our nature, Prajnaparamita, the mother of all Buddhas, wisdom of open open sky, Kanan in royal ease, compassion, the elements, earth, water, fire, air, space, as this very contingent, changing body. What do your altars speak of at home? And we have endless opportunities to express our gratitude, our reverence for life, to be generous, to be patient, to make contact with our joyful effort, all the paramitas, empowerment, mindfulness, healing. Wow. And that's all day. 
But why do we make ceremony something like this? Well, it takes time to ground ourselves in our embodied experience to become saturated by dharma, rain, like the rain we had the other night. We were standing out at the first night of, of session because the fire alarms went off, so it was so loud we were outside, and there's just this soft, feathery almost rain. And it wasn't until I got to my room that I realized I was soaking wet. <laughs> you too? <laughs> Dogen once said, there are three things that spoil very easily before they become ripe. Fish eggs, mangoes, and the Buddha-seeking mind. Ripe. You know, it's very delicate, this way that we need to nourish our Buddha-seeking mind the mind that wants to be awake, that really wants to be alive, fully alive, present. And this requires a frequent redirecting of our attention, right, away from ruminations, fantasy, towards this present, back towards this present sensory bodily experience. Can you feel how liturgy nourishes the Buddha-seeking mind? When it gets weak, how it can nourish it to become stronger, saturated again. We need this desperately. We come to practice with a lifetime of training in seeing ourselves separate from one another and everything else. This intimacy is not usually easy. Trusting the invisible light of ourself and that each one of us has needs practice if it's to offer integrity and and moral strength. Do you notice how much it takes to give in liturgy, standing in place without rumination or fantasy, relaxed, yet holding the body, meeting the sounds and seed syllables fully without knowing, releasing our stronghold on the self to unify with the sounds of the voices, with our voice, with everybody, feel everybody as our own and distinct. Each thing has its own place. Form makes the character and appearance different. 
How about Norioki? What do you notice? Zazen, and then this choreograph of movement to work with our full awareness, intention, and attention. We repeat, we repeat, we repeat every day, right? In Dogen's time, just briefly, in Japan, when he was teaching at Aheji, he had a sense that um, liturgy was getting a bit spoiled and (laughs) meaningless, that liturgy was getting pompous, and it was who had the best gold brocade and purple outfit. So he took a radical step and began teaching the monastics a new kind of liturgy. He used everything we do, all the daily activities as sacred activity. Maybe you've seen this in Shobo Genzo. Those were the ones I went to pretty much first. They seemed like I could, like, a chapter, a fascicle on washing the face, using the lavatory, brushing your teeth, washing your face, taking a meal. And listen to his liturgy about washing the face. See what you notice. At just the moment, this is what you say, at just the moment when we dignify body and mind with training, Eternal, original practice is completely and roundly realized. Thus, the body and mind of training manifests itself in the original state. That's what you say when you're about to wash. (laughs) Brushing your teeth. Holding the toothbrush. May all living beings attain the true dharma and be naturally pure and clean. Brushing the teeth in the morning, I vow with all beings to care for the eye teeth that bite through all afflictions. Rinsing the mouth, may all living beings approach the pure Dharma gate and accomplish liberation. (laughs) Washing the face, I vow with all beings to attain the pure Dharma gate and be forever undefiled. Benefit. Benefit for oneself, benefit for others. He speaks of purifying, but we know there's nothing to be purified, nothing staying not pure in that one sense. However, stains in purity. (laughs) We have to clean up some of our acts. Yeah. Shakyamuni said, Buddha's true Dharma body, as it is, is open sky. In response to things, forms appear. Thus is the moon in water. And we learn there have to be conditions for the moon to take form. So as we practice, we come, become more in tune with how things are in a dynamic, wondrous flow of causes and conditions and effects. 
they work together. To practice opening our perceptions without getting in the way, without judging, without filtering and processing, so our rigid ways can loosen and we could see things as they are. Empty of self. We get more flexible and then things have possibilities. Gain may not be gain. Loss may not be loss. Benefit may not be benefit. Harm may not be harm. Loosening our fixed notions. We were asked, does the mirror get caught up with images? No. The mirror just responds by reflecting. So when we face painful um, or suffering situations, we can be at peace with pain when we don't have fixed notions about pain. We can be happy, experience happiness, touch deep happiness without trying to hold on to it or know what it is exactly. Everything perfectly reveals itself without labels, moment to moment. This is the natural order of mind free from clinging, free from greed. And little by little, we turn. Always leave space for a possibility, because we never know. So we need all the help to turn these habits. There was a poem in the subway I changed it a little bit. I once looked in the mirror and saw a face. The face was staring back. I asked, what are you doing here? They asked the same thing. (laughs) In ceremony, there are forms and there are sounds. There is understanding and there is believing. In liturgy, there is only intimacy. Thank you for listening. To find out more about ZMM's programs, retreats, and residency, please visit us online at zmm.org.